from the capital of the Commonwealth. This is the Sports Huddle with Bob Black on 1061 ESPN. We're also streaming live at ESPNRichmond.com and on the iHeartRadio app. Call in and talk with Bob anytime at 327-0888. Now, here's Bob Black with the Sports Huddle on 1061 ESPN. Hang it in. Cousins deep. And it's pulled in. And the ball comes out. But he is out of bounds at the as they drop it at the half yard line. The beanbag at the half yard line. Two officials now conferring one more time. I, I wonder if that could potentially be a touchback. Him reaching for the, the pylon. That ball came out. I'll tell you what, because I was so engrossed in the game as a Philadelphia Eagles fan and immersed in that play, I didn't realize how much Kirk Herbstreet saved Al Michaels on that play-by-play call on the Amazon Prime telecast last night. And I feel for Al Michaels, first of all, he's a Hall of Fame broadcaster, but that was a confusing play at the end of the first half of the Eagles-Vikings game last night. And to me, it turned out to be the turning point, the key play of that game. But Herb Street pretty quickly identified it and had it right as it turned out. And look, as an Eagles fan, I'm really happy that it happened, and that's the call. But as I listened to some of the talking heads earlier today, I did come to somewhat of the same realization as some of them came to. Uh, It's a tough rule, and maybe the penalty doesn't quite fit the crime of the infraction, if you will. And I'll explain that. So Justin Jefferson makes that catch, and he had a monster game, by the way. He's a beast, right? 11 catches, 159 yards. The only thing he didn't have was a touchdown, and he came within about a half a yard of having that on that play i don't know how defenses are going to stop him and here's the other thing how does kirk cousins like almost never win games like this i don't really get it i like kirk cousins and you look at his numbers last night 31 of 44 364 yards four touchdowns no interceptions he has a quarterback rating of over 83 and an overall rating of over 125 Those numbers were like at least double, in one case, Jalen Hurts, and 25 points more in the rating category. And yet he lost the game. He didn't lose the game himself. His team lost the game. And maybe that's the answer to my rhetorical question. I don't know. Why doesn't he ever win games like this? Maybe it's the team he surrounded himself with, be it Washington or be it Minnesota. Look, 28 points should win you a football game especially when you have numbers like that and you have a wide receiver like Justin Jefferson and a tight end like T.J. Hawkinson, who did have two touchdown catches and had seven receptions for 66 yards. I don't get it with Kirk Cousins. I like Kirk Cousins, but, man, he can't win the big one. He doesn't win the games in on the biggest stage with the brightest lights during the regular season like last night. And sometimes it's just plain old dumb bad luck like that play at the end of the first half. Now, look, I'm selling a guy short when I say it was just plain old dumb bad luck because an eagle made a play, and it was a local eagle who made a play, regional, 
Eagle who made a play, right? It was Terrell Edmonds who knocked the ball, jarred the ball away from Jefferson just as he was crossing the goal line. Terrell Edmonds played his college football at Virginia Tech. Pretty good pickup by the team on the other side of the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania, right? Edmonds had played the beginning years of his career in Pittsburgh and now jumps to the better side of the state to play for the Eagles. Anyway, he made the play to jar that ball out of Jefferson's hand as he was reaching for the goal line. And the replay clearly showed that the officials on replay got it right. It flew over the pylon and out of the end zone. And the ruling, the rule, the NFL rule, is if you fumble it out of the back of the end zone or over the sideline of the end zone and the ball has crossed the goal line and the pylon, it's an automatic touchback. And the ball goes over to the other team. And to me, that was the play of the game because the Vikings score there. They're going to take the lead at halftime. It was 10-7. It would have been 14-7. So instead of that, or 14-10, I beg your pardon. Instead of that, the Eagles actually got in position for Jake Elliott to kick that 61-yard field goal. You knew he was going to make that. If you're any kind of Vikings fan, first of all, you knew Jake Elliott was going to make that. That went from bad to worse. It couldn't get much worse than Jefferson fumbling where he did and losing the ball. It got worse when the Eagles actually got points out of that, and they wind up taking a 13-7 lead into the locker room, and, of course, the momentum was all theirs. They get the two quick touchdowns in the third quarter. The Vikings, with a valiant effort, kept getting it within a one-score game but could never finish it off. And the Eagles, who were far, far, far from perfect, win that game 34-28. It's just that the Vikings were, how many fars did I just do there? Three? At least five fars from perfect. I've never seen a team fumble as much as they have and drop as many passes as they had. I guess I'm again answering my own question. How does Kirk Cousins not win these games? Because he was 31 of 44. He probably should have been like 35 of 44. There had to be at least four drop passes by Viking receivers in that game. So I guess I'm answering that question. But here's my point to kind of start us out and maybe finish up on the Thursday night game. Maybe I don't care about the Thursday night game. Turned out to be an entertaining game. It was sloppy. It was not particularly well played. It's the type of game that as I was talking about yesterday, I think you're going to get on Thursday night. I realize we've been doing Thursday night games for a while now, but I just think there's a, an unfairness factor to the players who have played on Sunday to come right back and play on Thursday. I just think it's a really tough turnaround, and I think it's why we get games that aren't picture perfect. And I think that happened last night. Plus, you couple that with the fact it was the second game of the season and teams are still rounding into shape. Uh, that compounded the situation as well. So here's my point, and I heard this today. As I said, I was driving around listening to the Sports Talk Radio, uh, reading on Twitter and all the other platforms and all of this. I get the rule that if you fumble it out of the end zone, it should be a touchback. you got to do something to prevent a player who doesn't think he's quite going to get to the end zone from purposely fumbling the ball into the end zone. So they've already put a rule in place. If you fumble it into the end zone, only the player who fumbled it can recover it in the end zone for points. Now, when it goes out of the end zone, that's an entirely different matter and it turns the ball over to the other team. So that's the penalty there. If you fumble the ball and it goes out of bounds, you're not getting six points for that. You're not even getting the ball at the one-yard line. 
probably where you fumbled it, you're losing the ball altogether. And to compound it even more so, they're giving the ball to the other team all the way out at the 20-yard line. And I was thinking about that today. I actually think um, that does make some sense that it may be a little bit too harsh of a penalty. I, I get the idea of turning the ball over to the other team. I do. And they had to do something probably to help the cause, right? They forced the fumble. Terrell Edmonds forced the Justin Jefferson fumble. So I get that they should be rewarded somehow. So getting the ball is certainly the best reward you can get because now the other team doesn't score, doesn't keep the ball, and now the defensive team turns it over to its offense on the 20-yard line. I almost wonder if in a situation like that, the touchback part of that should change. And the defensive team, in giving the ball to its offense, should get it where the fumble occurred, perhaps. I know, that would have put put Philly in a really tough spot because, as you heard Al Michaels somewhat confusingly say, the official threw his beanbag, which indicates a fumble, at about the half-yard line. So the Eagles would have gotten at the half-yard line if you tweak that rule a little bit. Uh, I don't know if that's fair or not, but I will admit, uh, if I'm a Vikings fan, that's about as much bad luck on one play as you can possibly have because I do think it cost them the game. I think the Eagles were ripe for the taking in this game, and that play turned the whole thing around. It certainly turned the scoreboard around, and it turned the momentum and the emotion around. And Philly, to its credit, took full advantage of it, actually got points in the last 30 seconds of the half on the Elliott 61-yarder, and then came out in the third quarter and seemingly put the game out of reach. Uh, They kept letting the Vikings back in the game. The Vikings got back in the game, made it a one-score game, which gave us an entertaining Thursday night game to start week two of the NFL season. All right, just my thoughts on that. If you have any thoughts or comments on it, I just think that rule might be a little bit too harsh on the fumbling team. I do think the touchback part is correct because that way you do eliminate any thought of a purposeful fumble because you don't think you're going to get to the goal line and maybe it falls in the end zone and your teammate recovers it or something like that. So I do get that part of it, uh, but I do think it might be a little bit too harsh to give the other team the ball all the way out to the to the 20-yard line. Just something I was thinking about today. But thank goodness for that rule because being an Eagles fan, I think it saved the day for the Eagles last night. That and DeAndre Swift carrying 28 times for 175 yards. I'll tell you what, there were two, maybe three star performances last night. Certainly Justin Jefferson and DeAndre Swift, and I'm throwing Cousins in there. I'm on the Kirk Cousins bandwagon. I don't know. They may go 500 this year. He's a great fantasy quarterback. If nothing else, he keeps posting great, great numbers, uh, whether he's with Washington or or with Minnesota. All right, Thursday night football goes to the Eagles 34-28. They are an imperfect 2-0 and on the season, and they get the nine days or so now to try and correct things. And I heard on the Sports Center update the Ravens, have four starters out for their game this weekend? Well, Philadelphia is at least as bad. Uh, they, they had four out last night, and Avante Maddox today, um, sources say he's done for the season. So another defensive guy out for Philly. All back to, you know, all of our hypothesis that it's so hard to repeat, and that's one of the reasons why, is injuries play a factor the next year. You play as long and as deep as you possibly can into the previous season, and the turnaround time can get you. The injury bug can hit you, plus the fact everybody's out to get you. All right. Nonetheless, the Eagles are still 2-0 and to start the season, and the Vikings are 0-2 to start the season. And I think the stat is something only like 9% 
of teams that start 0-2 make it to the postseason. So the Vikings have quite the uphill road to climb after starting the season at 0 and two. All right, that's how we start the show on a Friday afternoon, Sports Huddle. Bob Black with you, hosting remotely on this Friday. Robert Oley uh, coming back to the afternoon today. He produced the uh, Border to Border with Matt Josephs, and he's making a full day out of it. He's producing our show this afternoon up until 6 o'clock, so appreciate Robert being in studio, and you'll hear from him. We'll have him chime in maybe on the Miami Dolphins, maybe on the Old Dominion Monarchs. I don't know. We'll have something for him to chime in on as well. Here's what else we're doing on this Friday. Friday afternoon. Here's what's coming up on today's sports huddle. Just a huge fan of sports. This is the River City Rundown. River City Rundown brought to you by the Richmond chapter of the American Red Cross. Your help is needed for the Red Cross to continue to be on call for local or national emergencies. To learn how you can volunteer or donate blood, Got two ways for you to do it today. You can visit Red Cross, as we always identify and always invite you to do. Visit redcross.org. But also, just keep that dial right where it is, because at 4.30, Jonathan McNamara from the American Red Cross is going to join us. And we will talk about some of those important issues. But look, it's a Friday. We want to have a little bit of fun. So we're going to talk some sports with J-Mac moving forward. James Madison is his alma mater. It's his passion. It's his rooting interest. We'll talk about the Dukes' victory over Virginia from last week, about their game this week, really big game at Troy, Sunbelt Conference showdown early in the season. Oh, he's a Jets fan, too. We can certainly talk about Aaron Rodgers and the Achilles tendon injury and where the Jets go from here. And one other topic on the JMU front that we'll touch on with Jonathan, the announcement today that Jeff Bourne, their longtime athletic director, is retiring at the end of the year. I think 25 years at JMU. He was an up-and-comer when he started two and a half decades ago. And look, what he did in Harrisonburg, it's Hall of Fame worthy. I don't think there's any doubt about that. Obviously, in recent history, all you got to point to is the move up from FCS to FBS, the switch of conference from the CAA to the Sun Belt, but also all of the renovations they made at Bridgeforth Stadium, the new basketball arena that they built, other championships that they won in other sports. Look, I'm not a JMU guy. You all know that. I'm a, I'm a Richmond guy. They signed my paychecks, um, but due respect to what Jeff Bourne has done uh, over the past 25 years at James Madison. He will retire at the end, I believe, of the school year uh, and when they hire a new athletic director, probably by the time we get to the spring. So all of that on the table to talk to J-Mac about. Jonathan McNamara joins us at 4.30 this afternoon. And then at 5.15, Al Galdi joins us. Love catching up with Al all summer long. It was about the Nationals and his Nats Chat podcast with Mark Zuckerman. But now the calendar has flipped to September and football season, and we will zero in on the Washington Commanders with Al Galdi. We'll talk about their, again, less than perfect victory over Arizona in week one and the prospects for a win against Russell Wilson and the Denver Broncos on the road in week two. Al joins us at 5.15 this afternoon. Always invite you to join us as well, 804-327-0888. That's our phone number, 327-0888 is also our text line. We will talk about all the other college football, including Virginia at Maryland tonight and Virginia Tech at Rutgers tomorrow and Richmond's home game with Delaware State, which you'll hear here on 1061 ESPN beginning at 3 o'clock tomorrow. So all of that coming up in the next hour and 45 minutes. 
minutes. We get you to the weekend on the Friday Sports Huddle. Lock it in with us at 1061 ESPN. As the Braves roll toward the 2023 postseason, there is one goal in mind, a World Series title. An aspiration they share with a few others. You can hear all the action here on your exclusive home for the Atlanta Braves in the capital city. 1061 ESPN Richmond. Just when I think... I was just thinking a little bit more about Jeff Bourne's announcement today at James Madison that he's going to retire as their athletic director. And that, by the way, is going to be a very attractive job. I know they've already commissioned a search firm to assist in finding the next athletic director at JMU because you hear this phrase all the time from people who retire after long stints with a team or a program, that sort of thing. And they say, hey, we're leaving this in better shape than it was when we arrived. And I think uh, that's almost an understatement in this case. And I couldn't help but think about this. And I know Jeff Bourne wouldn't think this way, but you almost wonder if he wasn't 64 years old and he didn't want to spend more time with his family and his grandkids and he likes fishing and and all of that and more power to him, that you could kind of turn his clock back 10 or 15 years to allow him to continue to do what he's doing with JMU in the state that it is now, if that makes any sense, so that he can enjoy uh, the fruits of his labor almost. Not Not that he hasn't, but the whole football thing, for example, is just on the tip of the iceberg, right? I mean, they had great success while he was there. He has no reason to be thinking the way that I'm kind of talking right now. It's just that it dawned on me a little bit. And they won a national championship in the FCS level, and they were perennial championship contenders and all of that, and they won other other championships in other sports. So he had plenty to enjoy the fruits of his labor, if you will. But I just, you know, you think about that a little bit. They got to this point there at the tip of the iceberg that maybe he'd want to still be sitting in that athletic director's chair when they actually officially win a Sunbelt Conference football title and get to go to a bowl game. And their basketball teams, and I use that plural for men and women, actually um, reach the level that they want to reach because they built that new arena if that makes any sense. And I'm sure he'll still be around. He'll be around and he'll be able to enjoy it um, in whatever manner he wants. And in some cases, that's almost better. You don't have to be at a certain place at a certain time to speak to a certain group or oversee a certain meeting. You can just kind of enjoy the games and show up and have a good time because you you earned it. Um, but anyway, so uh, that will be a, a new look at James Madison when they hire that new athletic director. Hard to believe it's been 25 years that he's been there and tremendous job that, that he certainly did. All right, so during the commercial break, uh, Robert and I got to talking a little bit about his busy day today, and he's actually going to be producing the Richmond game tomorrow. But, Robert, the timing works out great here because the Spiders don't come on the air until 3. The game's not till 3.30. And your guys, Old Dominion, play the high noon game tomorrow, right, against Wake Forest. I guess the only problem here is that you put yourself on the schedule to work tomorrow and you can't be down in Norfolk for this game against Wake Forest. Yeah, it was funny on Matt's show, I called for the ODU fans to get out there, but I admitted <laughs> I'm personally not able to get out there. Now, I have a reason for it, but uh, I just it's, it's, it's such a great opportunity. I know uh, Virginia Tech, Virginia fans, just don't really think this way anymore but as old dominion hosting wake forest is really cool we've gone to wake forest 
a time or two, but just to be able to host an ACC Power 5 team is just really cool for ODU. I said this on Match Show as well. I, I would love a win. Obviously, I'm going to pick ODU with my heart, but no matter what, I want to see them be competitive in this game. Continue to build off that momentum that you had last week. Don't be the ODU of old. Have a good step forward and then take a step back. Wake Forest has become that type of program, which really does kind of amaze me, to be honest with you, that that they have that kind of drawing power now. And I think there's going to be a decent number of Wake Forest people in your stadium uh, tomorrow. Tomorrow, what are they about a two touchdown favorite or so? I think. Yeah, just it's at fourteen. I think it was fourteen and a half yesterday, but it's down to it's at fourteen, 14. right now. And yep. Mitch Griffiths, their quarterback. Yeah, Mitch Griffiths. He is from Ashburn, Virginia, and. Remember, he talked about how he did not receive an offer, not only from ODU, but none of the Virginia schools. So a little bit of a chip on his shoulder. Yeah, he will be playing with a chip on his shoulder. He's off to a great start. I'm just looking at some of his numbers through their first two games. He's thrown for over 500 yards and uh, and five touchdowns already. So, I mean, try to stop your heart from beating figuratively for a moment, certainly not literally. What would Old Dominion have to do to stay in this game with Wake Forest? I think a continuation of last week. Now, obviously, yeah. obviously, Wake Forest is going to see on tape that run pass option they were running. That Louisiana just was for some reason hesitant to bring in more linebackers, but that that was working really well. They're running down the field, and our quarterback Grant Wilson he hit some deep shots. He missed a few against Tech, and he hit a few this game. And for the first time in years, ODU had an explosive offense for one Saturday. So they're going to need more of that. I mean, you remember the first time we played Virginia Tech. All of a sudden, they just started throwing it all over the yard. It needs to be something similar like that, but <laughs> it only happens so many Saturdays. But mm-hmm. like I said, even if they don't win, I just want to see continued positive signs and just stay competitive because this is a really good Wake Forest team. Not not as many people outside this area might not know that, but Dave Clawson is a very good coach, and the one thing he does know is offense, and he's going to get his quarterback ready. Yeah, uh, yeah, they, he certainly will. He's he's certainly known for that. Uh, if you if you watch the odds. And you listen to the odds makers, it's not going to be a great day for the uh, state teams involved in ACC games, whether they're an ACC team or they're playing an ACC team. Virginia goes in 15.5-point underdogs at Maryland. Uh, and I don't get into this business very often, but I do think Maryland can win this game by about that amount. Again, I don't gamble. I don't bet. Um, but I, I do like Maryland. In that one, we talked about Old Dominion being a 14-point underdog against Wake. Virginia Tech is a 7-point underdog at Rutgers tomorrow afternoon. That's on the Big Ten Network at 3.30. VMI, of course, is a huge underdog. I don't even think there's a line on that game as they play at um, at NC State. So could be a tough afternoon for the Virginia teams either in the ACC or playing ACC teams. But that's why they play them on the field. Uh, never know. And we'll be excited to keep an eye on all of those games, particularly Roberts, Old Dominion Monarchs against Wake Forest. And, of course, um, you know, I do have a little bit of an allegiance to Wake because of the Dave Clawson factor and some other folks uh, down there who have passed through Richmond that are now part of the Wake Forest uh, program, but also admire and like Old Dominion. So be able to keep an eye on that game as we get set for the Richmond game 
at 3.30 against Delaware State, 3 o'clock airtime here on 106.1 ESPN. All right, we're going to talk about James Madison football, another state team. They played the ACC team last week, came away with that come-from-behind emotional victory at Virginia, and now they prep for a Sunbelt showdown against Troy uh, tomorrow night under the lights on the NFL Network. Our resident JMU fan, Jonathan McNamara, also of the American Red Cross, the Richmond chapter, going to update us on that. And we'll have some fun talking some football with him when we come back in just a moment. Sports Auto, head to the bottom of the 4 o'clock hour on 106.1 ESPN. Looking for the Richmond Spiders? Well, you've got them. 1061 ESPN is your exclusive radio home for all things Spiders athletics in the River City all year long. Well, if anyone deserves a temporary break, that would be Big Al. So as you heard, no sports phone first four days of next week, and then he's back. We're going to talk a little bit about a guy who's now taking a permanent break, a retirement. That plus some football talk and then some important matters involving the American Red Cross, one of our great partners here on 1061 ESPN. All of that as our verbal table of contents to introduce you to Jonathan McNamara, who joins us this afternoon, um, as he does on a regular basis on our program on a variety of topics. Uh, Jonathan, hope you're doing well, and I'm going to kind of turn the tables this time around. Normally, we talk about the important stuff first and then get into some sports conversation. But it's a Friday afternoon. The sun is shining. The weekend's coming. College football, the NFL. I want to start with the fun stuff, if you don't mind, this afternoon. How are you doing, my friend? I'm doing great, man. And and I'm really glad you mentioned uh, Jeff Warren. Uh, I had the privilege of getting to know Jeff, um, not only as my time as a student, but working uh, in support of the athletic department and that have done uh, a number of different things with him over the years and in projects uh, as an alumni and, and a part of the Duke Club and other organizations I've worked with. And just um, his career at JMU, if you're a fan listening to this, if there is something out there, whether it's a facility, um, a program that you enjoy, and as a fan, that's because of a lot of work that Jeff did and his ability to continue to uh, support all of the athletic programs at JMU, not just the, the big ones, the football, the basketball, the world, but his commitment to um, total athletic department success, uh, the across programs, the uh, growth of, of softball and seeing what they were able to do and making sure that all of those programs um, had top-notch facilities, the volleyball program and their new facility that was launched recently. Um, that's Jeff's commitment, and, and I think that's why so many people today, when the announcement was made, um, let their thoughts be known about the impact that he had on the broader community um, of college athletics in the state of Virginia. Uh, I'm just really glad for him because I know he's going to earn his trip to, uh, to Montana and Wyoming uh, he has some fly fishing, he said, that's on his uh, agenda for retirement. Uh, just really, really proud of him, really excited for what's going to come next. But Jamie can be definitely grateful. I had made the comment when we talked about that story about 15 minutes ago. Surefire Hall of Famer at James Madison for all of his accomplishments. And there were some times, right, Jonathan, that there was some angst here. I mean, this whole thing of going from FCS to FBS, there were a lot of UJMU people who had some angst over that, wanted it done maybe a little bit quicker than Jeff Bourne eventually pulled the trigger on that with the university. And then he downsized the athletic department, right? He had a relatively massive cut of sports. And trust me, as someone who went through that process at Richmond when we cut sports, it's one of the worst things you can possibly go through if you are in college athletics. Yeah, and I was actually at JMU as a Breeze reporter um, covering the kind of Save the Whole Sports movement that was on campus 
the athletic department had to make some really challenging decisions. And part of what drive drove that decision was making sure that if JMU was going to sponsor a sport, um, that they were going to be all in, that they were going to make sure they didn't have tiers of sports where, um, you know, different varying levels of, of engagement, varying levels of financial support. They said, we're going to support all of our sports that we carry uh, as a brand um, fully. And I think that, while it was a tough decision to have to tell those athletes and the alumni of those programs that they were no longer going to have a place at JMU, if you look at the trajectory of those programs since that point uh, and what it's done for an athletic department being able to compete year in and year out for uh, CAA titles and win so many of them during the course of their time in the CAA, uh, and now the success they've had on the national level, um, gaining support in these national tournaments, soccer, and, and, uh, volleyball, and lacrosse, and women's basketball, I think that's in great deal uh, a part of what Jeff's vision was and making sure that that full athletic department success was a priority to the university and, and not just in terms of the, um, the scholarship levels, which was a real change in the cuts, uh, but making sure the facilities uh, back that up as well. And then obviously the decisions around moving to FBS. Uh, I think it was JMU staying in FCS football for um, more time, which allowed them to catch up with the facilities, uh, allowed them to get their ducks in a row financially but also for the brand nationally to have additional success. Winning that 2016 national championship showed um, that the 2004 national championship wasn't a fluke. Uh, they were able to get a lot of attention with uh, both college game day appearances, uh, and I think that that made JMU a more attractive fit for the Sun Belt, uh, and then in turn allowed JMU to put itself in a position to be successful when they made that transition. Uh, and I think that will go down as one of the uh, you know better decisions that was made by this program, and that's Jeff. Um, once again, it took a lot of heat and a lot of message boards in other areas, and he deserves that credit. And I think over time, uh, history will show he made the right decision. I made this comment just before you came on, before we went to the break at the bottom of the hour, that I wonder if, if he, and I know he's going to have a great time with the family and the grandkids and the fly fishing, everything that you mentioned, if he could just turn back the clock on himself so that he could enjoy being a part of what's to come now at JMU because he put all that, that effort and time, blood, sweat, and tears, all of that into it. And it seems like you're in position to really kind of reap the benefits now, right? You could win a conference championship in another year in football in the Sun Belt. You could get to a bowl game. The new arena should bring success for men's and women's basketball. That I guess he's going to be able to do that just as a fan. I'm sure yeah. he'll do that. But you just kind of wonder if he wishes he wasn't, you know, 10 years back and JMU was where it is today, if that makes any Absolutely. sense. Yeah, no, I, I think so. But I, but I'll say, like you say, he'll get to enjoy it as a fan now. And I, I didn't give Jeff a lot of credit some of his conversations since the announcement. He was very clear in saying that this is a different um, world that we're all living through in college athletics now. And, and there's a lot more mm-hmm. um, pressure on these departments, whether it's the NIL conversations with conference realignment. And, and I think as somebody who's gone through not only what he did in the early parts of his career, but living that over the last five years probably does take a toll on you. Um, and this is something where I think he'll be able to step back now and, and reflect on what he did to put Zambia in a position of success. But I think he's also aware of, of what needs to happen um, moving forward for Zambia. I know that there's a lot of focus on the need to raise additional funds, the need to make sure that this athletic department has the resources necessary uh, to compete in the Sun Belt. And, and I, I give him a lot of credit for saying it, it's time for uh, kind of a passing of the torch to a, to a younger generation of leaders uh, to help drive the university into the future. And, and I think it's the foundation set for JMU um, that is going to put this program uh, right where it needs to be to make sure they're able to capitalize on opportunities. Um, no bigger opportunity than they were able to capitalize on last week um, with the winner over UVA. They've now had those signature wins over you know, UVA and Virginia Tech, which has put this program on the national spotlight again. Uh, so just once again, full credit to Jeff and, and hope he does get to wear out that reel 
for the months and years to come. Well, I certainly don't blame him for bowing out now. He and I are in the same era and age window, and we remember college athletics with a whole different landscape than Mm -hmm. it is now with NIL and transfer portals and all of that. So uh, good luck to him in retirement. He certainly earned it and and enjoyed it. Hey, Jonathan, um, Kurt Signetti this week when he was on with Matt Joseph on Border to Border admitted, you know, they're talking about the big win over Virginia, how important it is, all of that. And in an answer to one of Matt's questions, he said, through the summer and now at the start of the season, I've spent more time focusing in on Troy than I fe- spent on UVA. Um, uh, yeah. How do, and, and how, do you, right. how do you feel? Do you understand where the head coach is coming from on that one? I do. And, and I actually think one other anecdote that was really interesting this week that came out is Mickey Matthews actually yes. uh, gave Coach Signetti a call and said, hey, you know, remember we lost the week after we played Virginia Tech, so – um, this this seems as advertised. I actually did uh, on a podcast. I, I joined some Jamie folks this week. Talked to some of the bloggers from Troy just about the, the success that that program has had over the last two years. Um, they had one and one to start the season. Uh, obviously, got their their win over McDee's, uh and then followed it up against a really tough K State team. But this team is dynamic. Um, off the start of the football, they're a team that likes to run the football, which um, you would think plays in the Jamie's strengths as a team that continues to show that they are are a really top-notch run defense. However, uh, Troy has shown really effectiveness through their play-action game, which I think if there's a real area of concern for the Sandy team through two games, um, kind of some of the same concerns you saw last year is their ability um, to really be competing through the air. UVA have a lot of success with a freshman quarterback. Um, so Troy definitely a team that I think is going to challenge them on offense. I think the key to this game is uh, NJMU um, continue to show growth on the offensive side of the football. I thought Jordan McLeod looked Really good at times um, last against UVA, but there were still some uh, plays he left out on the field. But he's the first to admit that um, he's got to continue to limit turnovers because I think that could be something that, as always in sports, could be a real difference maker uh, on a long road trip. On um, this really open stretch for Jamie now, um, going to Troy, having to go to Utah State before they have to come home and play a, a really challenging South Alabama team. So uh, I think that's probably why you saw a little bit more uh, fireworks in his, his press comments this week. Um, really trying to challenge the senior group. Um, he, he's been very candid in saying he doesn't think he's gotten his best football from his seniors, uh, particularly probably on the defensive side of the field. Uh, so we have a really interesting matchup against a top-notch opponent who won the Sun Belt last year, and I think we're going to finally see what is this team made of, especially after an FCS game and a, and a win over a UVA team that, um, let's be candid, uh, might find itself at the bottom of the ACC. It's a really interesting and important week this week for the Duke. I assume you were in Scott Stadium Saturday? I, I was, and I was. I, I will say when the rain hit, um, I've never been more uh, happy to be soaked because, man, did it take the uh, – it was hot where we were sitting. Um, and uh, I will say, that if there was – I'm not going to try to claim and say that I knew we were going to come back. I'm going to be candid. Um, when we hit the rain break, I, I was a little pessimistic at that point. Uh, but there was a moment when the JMU fans kind of rallied around the tunnel before the team came out, um, and you saw just how many JMU fans stayed in the stadium um, <laughs> against the advice of the uh, – facility staff from the University of Virginia. Maybe that is a lesson there. The Jamie grads didn't follow the instructions. Uh, more of the UVA fans followed the, uh, the guidance of the, the officials. And I will say as the Red Cross are in the building, I, I probably didn't follow my own advice. But um, seeing so many JMU people in the stands, I think that really did. And the post players mentioned in the post-game comments that that made a big uh, impact, mm-hmm. um, seeing that their fan base still believed in it. And I love Signetti's approach saying, you know, all we had to do was get a score and a stop, and then another score and we win the game. And it made that 11 points feel more reasonable um, and realistic. And, and credit to the, the players who 
you know, really stepped up in that moment when things weren't looking that great. I thought there were some um, interesting calls on both sides of the field uh, last week. I don't think it was the, the best officiated game. I think UVA had some moments where they could have broke it open, uh, especially their first carry of the game that was called back in the holding. Um, some interesting uh, reviews that could have been some fumbles that uh, might have gone Jamie's way. They didn't, but it made for a great atmosphere. Else, they might, my headline for that day is not, yes, Jamie won the game, uh, and it's a big win. But that's what college sports is about. The tailgates for 50-50 JMU and UVA fans. Um, a lot of families with kind of the T-shirts divided down the center. Um, and I hope the powers of be at college athletics, and especially in the, in the world where the ACC is now a national conference, um, look at these non-conference games as a way to, to bring these local rivalries into the, the forefront um, and give fans an opportunity to not have to wait 40 years for this matchup to happen again. Um, because it was, it was probably one of the more enjoyable days um, as a fan just being able there to – the split stadium like it was it was it was just great yeah you should have stayed in the stands no matter what they said no matter how hard it was raining it only <laughs> happens once every 40 years and i exactly. think you did you did the right thing and you certainly stayed uh, stayed safe yep. um were you watching on monday night when aaron Rodgers went down four plays <sighs> into his jets career i mean bob we've talked about the jets before on here and i feel like i've said so many times that the curse is real <laughs> and if and if anybody had any doubts seeing him you know come out with a flag that i've never I thought MetLife looked like it had more energy uh, on Monday than it did when they hosted the Super Bowl. Um, just a fantastic atmosphere, and to have it happen four plays into the into the game just felt like the most Jets thing ever. Um, and, of course, for us to, to wind up finding a way to win that game, just the, the weirdness of how that whole thing um, really played itself out just is a, is a perfect summary of my fandom as a Jet. Um, but, I mean, look, I will say I thought Zach Wilson um, – while he struggled at points, he looked better than he has looked. Am I going to say that I have the same expectations um, as before the season? Yeah, because I kind of expected it was going to go this way. I just didn't know what the outcome would be. If it was, I, I was surprised it didn't happen with him, you know, going to see a Broadway show or coming out of the bus. It seems like Jets always find a way to do something in the, in the most unorthodox way possible. But uh, I'm just, just another year as a Jets fan. What Hockey veteran? What veteran? What what veteran quarterback do you hope they get? Honestly, at this point, I, look, I, I listened to RG three openly campaign for himself on another ESPN program <laughs> yes. this week, and uh, I but I thought he was honest enough in saying, "Look, would the, you look at the quarterbacks out there, whether it's a, a Carson Wentz or or some of the other retreads, a Colt McCoy? Yeah, other guys that could come in and, and maybe bolster the quarterback room from a depth perspective, but." Um, look, they they made Zach Wilson the number two pick overall for a reason. Got the talent, that offensive line, um, as we saw in all four of, of Aaron Rodgers' snaps uh, on Monday night. Whoever's a quarterback for the Jets is going to be somebody that's going to need to get outside the pocket and use their legs. Um, any of the names that are out there, Joe Flacco, Carson Wentz, not going to be those types of guys. Definitely not Matt Ryan. Um, so I say, yeah, give, give Zach Wilson an opportunity to show what he can do. And, and at the end of the day, um, maybe something shakes loose to the trade deadline, um, whether it's Arizona or the Rams that could possibly um, maybe be willing to, to make a deal with the Jets. So I think, especially as you go through the next stretch of games, it was going to be challenging for whoever the quarterback was for the Jets. Um, so I, I, I actually for once agree with what the Jets are doing here and let's see what he is. And then at least you finally might have an opportunity to know what you have in Zach Wilson and see if he has made the progression um, that some of the coaches have thought he has made. Is that coach speak? Probably on some levels, two things to be true at the same time. Um, but we'll see. Should be interesting. 
Jonathan, let's speak of the American Red Cross to, to wrap things up. And I, I really wasn't like burying the headline here because, as no, I said, no, no, we, no. We, normally, we normally do start with that and then finish with a little bit of sports. So I'm glad we're doing it this way, but that should not still take away from the importance of what the American Red Cross and you are doing. What's kind of at the, at the top of the list of challenges right now? Well, for starters, uh, we announced on Monday a, a national blood shortage, and I, I cannot overstate um, how challenging the blood collections environment uh, has been in the U.S. over the last month. Uh, we saw a 30,000 donation shortfall in the month of August. Um, that uh, follows a 50,000 donation shortfall that we saw at the beginning of the summer. Um, and if you were to come into our building, uh, we saw CBS 6 did a story this week where they actually filmed some of the blood on our shelves. You'll see we, we are significantly low in terms of the supply um, here in Virginia, and that mirrors what we're seeing across the country. Um, with all of the weather events we've had across the country, in addition to um, people taking vacations and high schools and colleges just getting back in the session. Um, we saw that drop in, in appointment signups for the Red Cross, and that has a real impact on hospitals in our area, um, particularly uh, communities like the sickle cell community, um, which always feels the brunt of these types of blood shortages. And that could lead to situations that doctors and nurses have to make um, really challenging healthcare decisions in terms of who gets blood uh, and when they get it. Uh, and when blood transfusions are delayed, in many situations, that can mean pain for, for people. It can mean um, cancer treatments are harder to maintain. Uh, and that's why uh, when you have these conversations, fortunately, if there is uh, a good headline that comes from these, is people do answer the call to donate. Um, so for somebody listening to this, redcrossblood.org, um, there are blood drives being added in our community each and every day. If you're a local business uh, that has a facility that can host a blood drive, we also want to hear from you. Uh, so that we can make sure we have blood drives uh, throughout our community that are accessible. Um, so, again, redcrossblood.org. Um, on top of that, it's been a very busy uh, disaster season for the Red Cross. We have volunteers that deployed to the Northeast uh, in advance of any potential impacts of Hurricane Lee, um, in addition to having over 30 volunteers in Maui uh, and in Florida right now uh, working with the Red Cross response teams there to make sure that those people still have uh, an ability to continue what's going to be a long recovery process. Jonathan, keep up the good work with the American Red Cross and uh, keep up the good rooting for your teams as well. It'll be an enjoyable fall. Awesome. Hockey season's two weeks away for, yes, for training is. camp, so I'm excited there too. Yep, we'll thanks, talk Bob. about we'll talk about the Islanders in addition to JMU and the Jets <laughs> and every, everything else. Jonathan, thanks. Exactly. Have a good weekend. Yep, bye. Jonathan McNamara from the American Red Cross and, as we said, kind of our resident JMU and J-E-T-S, Jets, Jets, Jets fan as well. All right, break time for us, almost 10 minutes to 5. ESPN Sports Center update coming at 5 o'clock. We'll get you there after the break on 1061 ESPN. The Braves have officially wrapped up the NL East, but the hunt for October never rests. Until October, catch the conclusion of the 2023 regular season here on your home for the Braves, 1061 ESPN Richmond. Want to hit a home run? A little bit of a breaking college basketball news story for you as we get to the top of the hour, and I imagine ESPN Sports Center might have more on this as well, but I saw it on Twitter from Nicole Auerbach from The Athletic, and boy, does this cl- cl- hit close to home. You could interchange a name here, and I think you'll know where I'm going with this. Michigan today announcing that Jawan Howard underwent a successful heart procedure to resect an aortic aneurysm and repair Howard's aortic valve. Recovery time is 6 to 12 weeks. Associate head coach Phil Martelli, the former St. Joe's coach, will serve as interim 
head coach. How close to home does that hit? Just replacing the name Jawan Howard with Chris Mooney of the Richmond Spiders. It. I'm not a doctor, but it sounds almost identical to the procedure that Coach Mooney had towards the end of the Spider season and about the same time frame that he was out until he got back to work during the spring and summer. This will, uh, for sure, Jawan Howard will be sidelined for the start of this college basketball season. And just like with Coach Mooney, you hope he's okay and will be back on the sideline. Phil Martelli, a very familiar face in college basketball circles and on college basketball sidelines, will be the interim head coach at Michigan. Yeah, that hits close to home. That's hour one of the Sports Huddle for a Friday afternoon. Thanks to Jonathan McNamara talking some sports and some American Red Cross with us. Five o'clock hour coming up after the ESPN Sports Center update. Al Galdi joins us at about 5.15 to talk some Commanders football. ESPN Sports Center update, and then we're back on the other side on 106.1 ESPN. Turn to Hernan Allen Plumbing, Heating and